Our scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Lord, as, uh, as we have asked the question, or have we, has, have we said to you, teach us to pray? Help us to be good learners this morning. And help us to see and to understand these phrases from the Lord's Prayer. uh, That we would pray with power, with boldness, uh, with the right priorities. And that we would see your kingdom come on earth in new ways. But help us now to understand and to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What would happen if all of the prayers you prayed last week got answered right now? I just want to let that question sit with you for a minute. Think back over the things you asked God for or you prayed for last week. You might think, well, I can't remember what I prayed for or I'm not sure... Uh, I prayed very specifically, or I don't know, maybe you have seen answer to prayer, but what would happen if everything you prayed for last week was answered this week? As Christians, Jesus himself invited us, called us, gave us authority even to pray world-changing prayers. God-centered prayers, big prayers, the kinds of prayers that do battle with darkness. Prayers that do nothing short of seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do we realize how big that is? How amazing that is? So my question today is, will we do that? Will we pray as Jesus taught us? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're moving through the Lord's Prayer. So last Sunday we talked about our Father and what it means to address God as Father and to have a relationship with Him. And that's really the heart of prayer. But now we move into the request, the first set of requests that Jesus gives us to pray and to inspire our prayer. And today we're going to look at these three phrases to learn about the kinds of prayer that change the world. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in a way, these three lines are three ways of saying the same thing. You could almost put on earth as it is in heaven after each one of those phrases. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. uh, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because heaven 
is the realm where all of those things happen all the time. And so prayer is asking for those things to be true here and now, not just then and there. Not just some future reality, but here and now as the kingdom breaks into our world. So let's talk about these three phrases one at a time. Hallowed be thy name first. And the first thing we need to do is understand some of the words that we're saying here. Uh, Prime example, hallowed be thy name. What does that even mean? (laughs) The only other English word that's remotely related to hallowed is Halloween, and that doesn't help us very much here. (laughs) Comes from a word that used to mean holy or to make holy. You know, I don't watch Jeopardy, but apparently last Tuesday, uh, June 13th, um, there was a $200 clue that went like this. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. (laughs) And you know what? This was supposed to be a softball, and nobody got it. It was a triple stumper, right? Can you believe that? Of course, we say, well, we know, what, we know that word, but we pray it every week. Yeah, but do we know what we're asking? We know what the word is. Do we know what it means? What are we asking for? Well, the word hallowed means holy, consecrated, set apart. So John Piper, the Bible scholar and pastor, writes this. To hallow God's name means to put it in a class by itself and to cherish and honor it above every other claim to our allegiance and affection. Jesus' primary concern, he continues, the very first petition of the prayer he teaches is that more and more people and more and more peoples come to hallow God's name. This is the reason the universe exists. Hmm. To, to see God as set apart and holy as he truly is. The late great Dallas Willard paraphrases this line of the Lord's Prayer this way. Father, may your name be treasured and loved. Right. See, if God is our Father, if we love him, if we know him, if we understand even a fraction of his goodness and glory, Won't we want other people to know that too? Won't we want other people to treasure his name and to love him and cherish him and respect him and honor him? And when that's not happening, we feel sad and pained. I'll share a story um, as an illustration. When I was about 10 years old, I was at a friend's house, the first time at this particular friend's house, And his father walked into the room. I had never met him before, and something about him seemed kind of different to me, like maybe he had a mental handicap or disability. And being the loudmouth kid I was, after he left the room, I turned to my friend and said, is there something wrong with your dad? Right? (laughs) How not to be a good friend to someone. Is he retarded or something? I mean, kids say things without a filter sometimes, right? No excuse. It was a terrible thing to say. But I remember my friend's face was a mixture of of shock and anguish. 
Like, how could you say that about my dad? Because he loves his dad. He cherishes his dad. You see, we live in a world where the name of God, where our Heavenly Father is ignored, mocked, ridiculed, attacked, questioned, where his character is, is attacked, where, where he's not treated as holy. Does that make you sad? Does that make you upset? See, we pray, God, hallowed be your name. May more people treasure and love you. If our prayer lives is simply a list of things we want God to do without first saying, God, you're the best, then our prayer will be shallow. This is what what grounds our prayer in the priorities of God, that his name would be great, not our name, not our priorities. So hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. Now, here we need to know what exactly is God's kingdom and what do we mean that it come here, right? Well, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. That, that in fact, was his main message. The first words recorded out of his mouth in his public ministry and in the Gospels are, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And all through his ministry, he talked about the kingdom, how to enter the kingdom, what life is like in the kingdom, how bad it would be to be shut out of the kingdom, how surprising it is to the world that the kingdom is the way it is, how he was the king who came to bring the kingdom. You see, that was his message And what he said is it reigns, the kingdom of God reigns here and now. That the kingdom of God is the extent of his rule in our hearts. We we said this great Psalm 145 this morning about the everlasting kingdom of God. And in some sense, God is the ruler over all. Nothing happens outside his will. And yet... The kingdom of God that Jesus talked about was that area of life that is uh, 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 obedient and submissive to God, willingly following his ways. And we have the ability to be in that kingdom here and now. If you're a Christian, if you're a part of the church, Big C Church, you are a member of God's kingdom. That's why Paul could say in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's God's kingdom. It's life. It's salvation. It's living in a different way from the kingdoms of this world. So what are we praying for now when we ask, your kingdom come? Well, look at this graphic on the screen with me. I don't often use visuals, but but I really thought this was important to understand. 
Okay, so this, this represents the, the most important thing we can know about biblical chronology of the end, end times, like sort of the age, present age and the age to come. You see the top line is the age to come. The bottom line, the dotted line, is the present age. That's the time in which we live now, the, the world we live now. And there's two vertical red lines. The first one represents Jesus coming to earth. He, he inaugurated, he kicked off, he, he brought about the kingdom of God in a new way on earth with his teaching and especially his death and resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit. So you see, the kingdom is already here, and yet that second red line is the day when the kingdom will be here fully and nothing else will be here but the kingdom of God. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. When John sees heaven and earth united again in, in harmony, where the kingdom of God is all in all and God's name is treasured by all. So that day is coming, but here's the key. We live in the overlap of those two ages. We live in the already and the not yet. The kingdom is already here, but it has not yet come in full and finality, with finality. Do you see that? Many have made the comparison to the time between D-Day and V-Day. So in May of 1944, the Allies uh, took Normandy Beach and had a beachhead into Europe. And people say that was really the point at which the war was uh, the ending was a foregone conclusion. But it took another 11 months of fighting to reach the full victory in Europe when the Nazis finally surrendered. You see? We live between the cross and the second coming, between the now, the already, and the not yet. And so this changes how we pray for God's kingdom to come. First, when we say, your kingdom come, we want that second line to be closer. <laughs> we want Jesus to come back and, and fix this screwed up world once and for all. However, we are also praying for the reality of that kingdom to come to bear here and now, for lives to change, for families to change, for people to be free from the oppression and slavery of sin, for uh, societies to have uh, to be changed, for justice to be done, for all kinds of ways that the kingdom of God can be manifested here and now, just like it is or should be in the church, right? The church is meant to be a little outpost of God's kingdom in this world. And so we, we live in a time that is contested between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, of Satan, of self, of sin. There are other names that are worshipped. There are other kingdoms that are given allegiance to. And we pray in the midst of that, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, God. Do you see? 
Jesus has given us, his disciples, the authority and the right to pray that his kingdom would come now as it is in heaven. These are world-changing prayers. Do we realize that? Now, I believe with all my heart there is nothing too small to pray about that a sign of God's kingdom coming more now could be as small and quiet as forgiving someone or finding encouragement when you're discouraged. Those are real signs of the kingdom. And we can also pray for the big things to happen, for people to change their whole lives, for, for marriages to be restored, for churches to be full of, of new converts, for um, uh, whole neighborhoods and families and societies to be transformed. In, uh, in the year 1904, in the country of Wales, next to England, there was a dramatic outpouring of the Spirit, a revival of the church and of the society. How many have heard of the Wales Revival, 1904? Not many of us. I hadn't um, until a few years ago. Well, this was a time when the kingdom of God was present with undeniable power because people were getting changed. People were giving their lives to Jesus and following him. Um, let me read a description of what one author, how he described this time. He said, This revival touched all classes and ages. Newspapers kept <clears throat> tally as the churches swelled with new converts, over 100,000 in a six-month period. In Cardiff, Wales, police reported a 60% decrease in drunkenness and 40% fewer people in jail in the new year of 1905 than in 1904. Stocks of Welsh Bibles were sold out. Profanity was so diminished in the coal mines that the pit ponies dragging the coal carts in the tunnels did not understand their commands anymore <laughs> and stood still, confused. Even children held their own meetings in homes and barns, he writes. Now, you see, the kingdom was coming. That's what happens when the kingdom comes. People live the Jesus way. His spirit is active. People do what Jesus wants. And what was the spark that touched off this massive change? It was prayer. Apparently a man named um, Evan Roberts had been praying for revival in his community daily for 13 years. And then unbeknownst to him and unbeknownst to, to each other, hundreds of normal believers had been praying and meeting in small groups to pray for over a year and a half that God would revive their land for the kingdom to come. You see? We can pray big prayers, God-centered, kingdom-come prayers. In the video series that I recommended to you called The Prayer Course, I hope some of you have started watching that, uh, the host, Pete Gregg, makes a good comparison. He's, he has a microscope on his table, and he says, so often our prayers are like looking at our lives through a microscope and praying for the, the thing, little things in our lives to change 
And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But sometimes, in fact, primarily we need to look through a telescope. He had a telescope there too and said, we need to look through and see how big and glorious God is and how big and beautiful his plan is. That's what will give our prayers the right perspective and focus and power. Right? Like, like Mike said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. God's will is to change the world. God's will is that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language would worship him. That's God's will. That heaven would come to earth. So I wonder, what could happen in your family? What could happen in Georgia? What could happen on your street? What could happen in your school? If we prayed consistently along those lines, your kingdom come. Well, finally, we pray your will be done. And as I mentioned, in a sense, this is the same as asking for God's kingdom to come uh, because the, the borders of God's spiritual kingdom are the extent that his will is obeyed, right? But there's more to this because to pray your will be done, as Mike so beautifully put, is also a prayer of surrender, Right? We pray boldly, we pray with faith, we pray that God would do great things, and yet we pray, your will be done. You have a plan, and your plan is best. That creates an inherent mystery in prayer. Because, you know, we don't know the mind of God. We don't know why some prayers are answered and some apparently aren't. And why sometimes God seems to give us what we want and other times he doesn't. That creates disappointment. I don't know why God has set it up that way, but I do know this. That if we are not praying boldly and specifically enough to be disappointed, then we're not doing it right. Because disappointment is part of the deal. It's built in. It's not a flaw. It's not a problem if there's disappointment. It's actually part of the experience of prayer. Jesus himself modeled this, didn't he? One of the most famous prayers we have of his recorded in Scripture was, Father, let this cup pass from me. You know, I don't want to go to the cross. He prayed that three times. He pleaded with God, and then he said what? Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus' prayer was not answered in the way he wanted it to. But without him going to the cross, without the forgiveness of sins, without him rising from the dead, without him ascending to heaven, without him giving, pouring out the Spirit, without him sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us, none of these prayers would be possible for us, right? That's, Jesus knew what it would cost him that we could pray these things. It cost him his life. And he had his own disappointment in prayer. And so 
that is a, a, that is a model to us, to pray with submission to God's will. And it's a privilege. We have been given this privilege of praying with authority, with power, with God's own priorities for this world. And so will we make use of that privilege? How will we make use of that privilege? Ultimately, the good news is that all of these three requests are guaranteed to be answered. Like that second red line, there will be a day when God's name will be treasured by all. There will be a day when God's kingdom will be here in full. And there will be a day when his will is done here as it is in heaven. That is a guaranteed thing. What is, in God's mysterious way, what is not guaranteed are the specific little outcomes that you and I can pray for. That certain people may not come to Christ unless we pray for them. Right? Certain things in this world will not change unless we pray for them to change. And so what will we do with this beautiful, wonderful privilege of prayer? I say that we roll up our sleeves, get on our knees, and pray. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.